Hello and welcome to the Expedition One podcast. This is episode eight. Thanks for joining us. Definitely on a roll here. <laughs> Got eight down, um, or at least we're on number eight. So, uh, so today we are going to chat a little bit about quality. Uh, what makes a quality product? Perception of quality. What makes a good? How, how do you know? How do you know what? makes a good quality product shopping what around. is a good quality product right yeah yeah lots of stuff here that we can talk about a lot a lot of stuff a lot of good okay stuff. where do you want yeah. to start let's talk about function versus style because that's kind of a key like starting point i think for a lot of people are you after a specific look or specific function obviously you want a little of both but some people yeah. are more one than the other Okay. So yeah, let's talk about that. So here's what's here's what's interesting when we're talking about when we're talking about function and mm -hmm. style. Usually, um, function comes first, and then style follows. Generally, right? Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. I'm going to use this because it's an easy example. The Jeep. Okay. So what became not the brand Jeep, but the original conception of the Jeep was a demand based upon the military needing a demand for a specific lightweight vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. Effectively, it's like, it's almost like they replaced the horse almost, you know what I mean? Just light infantry personnel carrier is what they became, right? Um, so um, I, I, I'm not gonna give you some history lesson on Jeep because I honestly don't know it. <laughs> not even gonna pretend. I know that it has to do with, uh, I think it was Bantam started off and they actually drew up the plans and they kind of showed up and said, here's what we got. And um, I just think the reality of it was is there as far as for them to be able to produce it. This was for the military, right? So anybody that could jump in the game to contract to produce it was gonna make it. And so that's where it kind of had a few different reiterations and Ford even got into the mix and was making it. Ford got a little weird about it because Ford made sure to like, have an F logo like on every little single part they could just so you know even though they were all making the same thing mm -hmm. you know for the most part right I think the grill the grill was one of the the main things that would be different from one to another but um anyway that whole thing was just a production of of necessity right if you look at what they were that this was not about generating style this was about generating a functional Right. piece of equipment but as a result of that you create this functional piece of equipment and um war ends and then you have it and then it's like well let's see what we can do to have this go somewhere right um so that's where you had the wheelies company i know they they came into play on that one um i think they they came into play during world war ii if i remember correctly and you had a very specific tool and item and now us looking at it now you have a brand that is based upon that item and it's almost required um by particularly by brand loyalists right it's like they they've created this brand and it has to have that pedigree going all the way back to have that specific look and that style yeah. and that feel mm -hmm. or else it's not a jeep right? right so like you you compare like a jeep to like a razor and I'm not saying one's more advanced than the other, but if you took an old Willys Jeep and you compared it to a Razor and you're like, whoa, you would think that's the evolution of what we're creating here, right? Mm -hmm. um, if, if you're really comparing them, but 
when you you're talking about a commercial item because we want something that speaks to us and says something that's why that's why you have it it has to follow this kind of uh style chain now right, right? right. if jeep didn't follow that they wouldn't be jeep but oftentimes that's that's to get to my point basically that's oftentimes what you have is is um something's created and it's way more about function mm -hmm. has really little to or nothing to do about style and has everything to do about function the brick phone is a perfect example right <laughs> i say brick phone everyone knows what i'm talking about right yep. and now we're talking about you know what we have now with smartphones right mm -hmm. that's and that that's still what's interesting about that is that smartphone when we're talking about that that's still function it's all driven by st function, but there's still a lot of the, the internal sleekness of it, the sleekness, the outer look, a lot of that still comes into play as so it's not some big plasticky brick right? like it used to be. So now I'm relating that to bumpers mm -hmm. and what, what we do with function and design or style, I guess I should say. Um, functions definitely first, but we really hard to make the style look good. Mm -hmm. um, design engineering comes into that a little bit. So maybe you want to touch on, on that side of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all want style, right? That's why Jeep is, is kept those iconic kind of looks, right? And keep that look because, um, you know, and it, it moves us physically and we think about World War II and we don't necessarily think about it, but it, there's these reminder images that exist of the ruggedness, right? And, and this heritage. So um, when it comes to to building a product, right? So you, ha you have to have the, the function of it built into it to really get what you want out of it, right? So what we're manufacturing here, so if we're talking about like our front bumpers, right? We're talking about a winch bumper. Very specifically, we want to carry winch, right? Well, there's a lot of different ways to do that, right? And the dependencies of how that can be done is based upon the vehicle. It's based upon the winch that it, the vehicles need. It's based upon all these factors and that stuff all kind of has to be recognized and brought into the equation when you're going to design a product, right? No matter what it is. Right. And it gets tricky because you're really trying to design, you're trying to design for the function you want look to matter. But the tricky part is, Besides designing it for function and, and look, it's it's all about how the human element mm -hmm. interfaces with this, right? It's about the human element in association with the product. Right. So So you typically don't have a one size fits all design for products. In fact, we don't do any of that except on instances where it's the same. Uh, I'm thinking of GMC Canyon and Chevy Colorado rears. Yeah. That's the, well, that's the only time that you can, you yeah. know what I mean? It's because they're back in, it's literally others, the same bumper, right? Yeah, it's the right. same thing. So you can, um, but for the most part, no, that's, that's the thing about just about everything. And it's, it's getting more like this. Um, if you went back to like the eighties, um, in eighties and nineties and early two thousands, even a lot of what separated just depending on different models, right? If you had a truck that was a half ton truck and a one ton truck and a three quarter ton truck, right? Three quarter ton and one ton. There's up until a point, it used to be there were 
pretty close to the same thing, right? The big difference is, is like, okay, they would put a heavier duty or spring in the back. And that was your primary difference. Maybe a larger motor and a heavy, heavier duty or spring or things like that, right? And those kind of things were the association. Um, sometimes like on GM vehicles, it was like the vehicle, the primary difference in the chassis was this one has a body lift and a beefier suspension. And that was, that was the bulk of it. Right. Um, and a bigger motor, right. For the, for the higher capacity, um, that the truck might've needed. Um, but that's, that's just kind of like on a historical sense. Now it's like you move up from that and I can't remember if it was Ford or, or who it was, if it was Chevy, but back in there somewhere, one of the, one of the automakers really changed things by making a half ton truck more comfortable, right? Instead of it just being a utility item, it was comfortable and kind of sleek and nice mm -hmm. to drive. And mm -hmm. I, I think it was Ford. I could be wrong, but I know that that was one thing that they did. And they did it completely different. They put IFS in the front. There was no solid axle. I mean, for Chevy did IFS, I think, before that. But even, even still, it's kind of like no solid axles. They just got rid of them um, altogether on half tons and made it a much more car-like suspension, um, more SUV styled. And, um, those changes were, there were huge changes. Everyone followed suit, right? <clears throat> kind of after that, every automaker after that kind of went, okay, this is how we need to build these. Yeah. And so you look now and you look at the three quarter ton and one ton model type trucks and, and bigger, um, save Chevy and GM, right? You still have a solid actual option. You know, that's what they come with. They're, they're designed to be very heavy duty and utilitarian and that kind of thing. They've done some changes to the suspension, like uh, where they've added coil springs instead of leaves. And it just makes it a little more comfortable and things like that. Mm -hmm. But they still want to focus in on making that utilitarian and, and useful um, for the, a lot of people that need to use those for, for work and that sort of thing. On the other hand though, like the half tons, like Ford's F-150, I think is the most sold truck in the world, mm -hmm. right? So they sell more of those than anything. And it's just because the utility part of that comes into the everyday average Joe. Um, I mean, utility companies and stuff like that use those and stuff like that, companies that, that do work. But um, it's just more for the common person. That's why they have so many creature comforts and they get so luxurious and and uh, lots of different styles and options. I mean, the Raptor is its own, right? The Ram, Ram has their half tons, mm -hmm. but then there's so many different types. And then you have the TRX and then you really have like Nissan and Toyota jumping in this. And that's its own. I, I, I think that has more to do with politics because everyone wonders like, why doesn't Toyota do a three quarter ton or one ton truck? And it has more to do with like, it's, not an easy thing. I think it's like the big three automakers, as far as I understand, really worked hard to make our government government make it difficult for Toyota to do that kind of thing. Interesting. As far as I understand. But I mean, yeah. Okay. So on the on the style side, mm -hmm. you know, we want it to look good, but we're we're not gonna name names here, but some companies take a more of a one size fits all approach. Yeah. Where no, it's pretty common. It's it's a very similar style for each. Yeah. Different front bumper, um, versus like 
and there's different so something to consider right if you want something that's like going to kind of complement the lines of your specific vehicle or you really just like the look of this kind of brush guard thing or whatever it is yeah and there's different kind layers to that difference. there's different layers to what you're talking about too because there is like okay we're going to make a style that's the same and we're going to fit that style to every bumper and we're just right. going to make everyone this specific style right um and then there is the kind of the more like okay we're going to take this exact bumper and we are just going to make it fit on everything, everything. else <laughs> and we're going to trim this here and we're going to adjust this here and that's it and we're going to add material right here and it's just going to fit on everything right, right and that's it's that's its own thing entirely um we don't do either of those yeah. i mean the truth of it is is the way we approach it is we look at each vehicle individually and we develop the style based upon the vehicle specifically and we also develop the the function based upon the vehicle and there's there's rules that I've made for myself in designing and that we've they're kind of like this is this is expedition one rules in designing a product um and sometimes you just can't follow the rules and that has more to do with the OEM right has more to do with what you've got to work with and you're just kind of like okay I wish I could do this but right so I really can't our good if our friend uh Bill Burke were here he would yeah he would talk to us a whole ton about winch placement and where the the line needs to come out and and bill we need we need to get bill on the podcast we do we it'd be awesome to have it'd him be on awesome to have on but um the whole point is that in using your winch properly which by the way we're going to do a winch specific um podcast as well yeah winching 101 um that line needs to be coming out at the right angle yeah yeah that's i mean that's a key component of it like um the stuff that bill's pretty fickle on i mean his 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 world is winching right so he did the camel trophy if you don't know what the camel trophy was out there it was it was awesome um so that was a cool thing that land rover did um and it was sponsored by camel cigarettes i believe and s several other companies super winch was the winch provider for it mm. it's kind of like a big british get together almost most of it was <laughs> you know super winch was did have uh, a bunch of their winches made in britain mm. at one time um, i think those all got you know lost in the divorce or whatever what happened there <laughs> but um it wasn't a divorce by the way but anyway so um they uh yeah bill burke has this pedigree of off-roading right the camel trophy was point to point kind of racing it was wasn't so much racing but it was it, it was con considered like the olympics of four by mm -hmm. four by fouring and um i remember when i was a kid when i was in high school like i wrote a paper about being in the camel trophy mm -hmm. and then it got dissolved and i was so angry because i was <laughs> like ready to put in my application uh because i wanted to do it um but anyway but Bill was an OG. He did training. He did several, like he did the Camel Trophy and then he trained people for it and then he was support for it. Um, and uh, so it was really rugged off-roading. So he has very specific design requirements when it comes to stuff that he'll put on his vehicle mm -hmm. because he has, he's like, look, these are the needs that you have to have. This is what you have to be able to do. And um, 
he recognizes certain dangers that come into play if you can't do that. And it's some some of them, it's when I say danger, it's that's a relative term, right? right? Um, but yeah, for example, like one thing that he doesn't like, and that's one one reason why we don't really do it on any of our bumpers except maybe one is he hates hidden he hates hidden winch stuff right right? he hates winches that they're hidden back behind and they're behind everything and you can't see what your spool is doing um and for good reason because if you're spooling up a winch and it's all winding on one side or something like that's happening and you can't see that it can damage the winch mount it can damage the winch um, and you can have catastrophic failure, right? right? Mm-hmm. So being able to see what your what your cable's doing is a good thing without having to get your head right down next to the cable in the most dangerous spot and right. looking in right. there to see what it's doing, yeah. right? So his whole thing, the ideal setup is you have an open kind of area with uh, vehicles like Jeep. Yeah, well, you can do that easy. with a Jeep. It's yeah. very easy to do. It's much harder to do on on trucks and other things like that, particularly because aerodynamics is becoming a big part of what it what it is now, right? So they're they're doing more to push the body in certain directions just to get more aerodynamics, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like Tacomas are a great example. Tacomas have slowly the front end of that Tacoma has slowly just grown further out. And um, that's not necessarily bad for actually having room to put a winch, but it's bad for um, the further away that pushes out, the further away the weight of the bumper moves away. And the more weight that is further away from the suspension, the more strain that's on the suspension, right? So there's a balance here in the dynamics of how we're building this. And so you don't want to push it out so far. So like the, the, the Tacoma specifically is like the one bumper that we have, full bumper that we have, that doesn't have like a little window so you can see what your winch is spooling. And that's because there's just no room. Yeah. And we did not want to push the bumper further out on it. Right. So. Design constraints do happen. Yeah. 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 That is, that is a reality. Yeah. But in uh, most of the cases and um, most times it's, that's not an issue. You've got the open winch mount or you have windows, you know, kind of built in to the bumper, um, like on the Rams and the ultras where you get a lot of vision on your yeah. winch and you can access it. Yeah, easily. it's it's pretty much standard on every one of our bumpers as far right. as our front bumpers that we're talking about winching is that there's room right. to actually look in there and you can actually see. And that see. line's coming out straight, not down at an angle. Yeah, it's it, the, the other, you know. That's another big thing. Um, yeah, that's another point of scorn because so <clears throat> a lot of people don't realize this, but when it comes to cable, cable and um, synthetic, synthetic line. line, right? Mm-hmm the weakest point is going to manifest where it is having to bend, right? So in rock climbing, uh, maybe y'all rock climb out there, but the common, most common knot to use in rock climbing now is the figure eight knot. And the reason why they use the figure eight is because the, the size of it and the turns of the rope are actually larger, okay? So if I have a rope and I bring it across a very sharp edge, right? Mm-hmm. I am creating weak points on the outer edge of that rope. And that's usually where you see failures occur, right? So like, that's why you can't use a square knot in climbing. That's why you're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. is because your failure point becomes your knot. And and it's it's not on the rope as it's going across a rock or anything like that. And in rock climbing, that outer sheath 
that's that's the thing is people don't realize that fancy looking colored outer sheath is a protector for the actual rope that's inside the rope, mm-hmm. right? In in off-roading with the the lines that you're using, the winch lines you're using, that's not the case, right? You're using like an aramide fiber or something like that. And it's going to have a trade name like Dyneema or Spectra or something like that. And um, there's there's a lot of different kinds. That rope, the rope is the rope is the rope, right? There's mm-hmm. there's really only one company I know of that does something where they actually have a cover. Um, there might be two now, but um, they're pretty expensive. They're nice, high quality ropes. Um, I'm a big fan. So it's actually who was it? Masterpole mm-hmm. is the one that comes to mind because I think he's the first dude that did that. Um, and uh, I used to have one of his ropes, but I sold it, which was probably a mistake because I miss it. Um, but no, they're, 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 they're really nice ropes. So, um, but there's, most of them aren't that way. Most of the synthetic line you're getting, you're, it's just a rope. So it's one thing not to get off topic here, but something to think about if you're choosing, do I do cable or synthetic? It's where are you off-roading? If you're off-roading somewhere where there's a lot of sharp, jagged rocks, right. cable might be your better choice. Mm-hmm. But if you're riding off-roading somewhere where there it's a little more forgiving not a lot of jagged rock rocks more smooth stuff right. even sandstone you know what i mean mm-hmm. um synthetics usually a, a better choice also. mud Definitely dirt just general safer. use you know we talk about that a lot yeah There's a lot of safety and in, in the case of a failure when it comes to synthetic line yeah it's just not going to have that force it's not going to have yeah it's not nearly as dangerous right is is the truth of it so okay so we've talked about the function you know, in terms of quality, when we're looking at function and style, some key points that you can look out there. But let's talk about the materials mm-hmm. when when it comes to to mm. quality, because there's there's options out there um, when it comes to what kind of material you're using. We talked in our previous podcast about <clears throat> steel coming out of Chinese China, yeah, and and whatnot. What, yeah, what well, I was gonna say, <laughs> what was that? It's a podcast that never aired. <laughs> That's what you're saying. We talked in a previous podcast. Oh, well. That podcast will never air. It's gonna air. No, it won't. Did we? We didn't talk about it on the one we just did. Sure we did. Well, supply chain. Supply chain. Did stuff. we? Yeah, totally. <laughs> we totally did. Back me up, JB. I don't think we did. <laughs> okay. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah, no, let's talk about materials. Let's talk about materials and why it matters. Okay, so steel. Let's start with talking about. Let's steel. talk about just steel. Okay, so stainless steel is expensive, so that's all. Right, we're, we're, we're not making bumpers out of stainless no, steel. It's expensive. Don't, don't ask. And it's heavy too. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. A lot of extra molecules in there that make it heavy. So, yeah, that's not preferable. Weight does matter. Okay, so um, when it comes to steel, like there is different qualities of steel, and um, there's so many factors that come into actually making good steel. All of our steel is from here locally. Um, Rocky Mountain Rocky region. Mountain region. Yep. Mm-hmm. Rocky Mountain steel. Um, there, um, that's where we prefer to get it is, is here. Um, particularly right now, what's interesting is we couldn't get steel from China if we wanted to because we don't just anyway, can't bring it in, but yeah, <clears throat> it doesn't make it um, this far inland. It generally. does not. Um, so there's lots of different qualities of steel that you can tell. The common one that we use, 
um, is just, it's called, we just call it P&O. It's pickled and oiled. It's just mild still P&O, um, which it's, it's a certified ASTM steel, right? It's a quality material. Um, we know that it's going to do what we need it to do. We know it's going to last and all that kind of stuff. Um, we avoid using steel that has a high level of mill scale content. Right. Which is what the pickled and oiled really is. That's, that's the purpose the of scale. the P&O. Yeah. yeah. Is it gets rid of the mill scale. When you're dealing with stuff that has a lot of mill scale, I've seen a lot of bumpers that have been made <laughs> in the past um, where, or you see pictures of guys doing it in their garage or whatever and stuff like that online and whatever. And it's not to take away from what they're doing. It's it's just one of the realities of it. It's not that the, the steel isn't quality. It's not that it's not going to hold up. It has more to do with just the finish. That mill scale becomes your bonding point with whatever you're putting on it. Right. right? If you're putting right. paint on it or powder on it, um, that becomes your bonding point, and it's not a great bonding point. So it's more ideal not to be bonding to mill scale. Mill scale. Right. Yeah, it's just more ideal. Penetration's not. Penetration, yeah. I mean, it. It, it'll still bond to it, but it's effectively the mill scale is exactly that. It's not the steel. It's not the bumper. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like a layer of uh, junk on the outside that's stuck <laughs> to it almost, right? It's still it's still iron, but it's just, you know, it's not the actual steel that you want. So right. um, that's one key thing about it. The truth of it is when it comes to material, and I'm not trying to say that China is like a bad place also that you can't get good material or, or bad material comes out of China. China's actually done a really good job at getting really good at making better materials, right? Um, it's just one, sometimes it can be a bit of a crap shoot. I've seen some mm. really garbage material come out of China um, and other places that we just don't use. We're unwilling to, so we're very strict on what we use. So not all metal that goes into building a bumper is created equal. Right. That's that's definitely true. So, so now that's steel. Let's talk about aluminum and okay. what the difference is. And and a lot of people ask me, why don't why aren't you guys doing aluminum bumpers? It's a great question. And we have done aluminum we, bumpers. We, have. And we do some stuff. But. Yeah. So we've done in the past. We were like, hey, let's give it a shot and see what we can do. We've done some Jeep bumpers out of aluminum. Um, we did a very limited run, and. Um, we still we just, do KL bumpers out of with an aluminum shell. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking more like JKs. We did, yeah, for a minute. We yeah, did that. for a minute we did JKs. Um, what we found is is there's a there's a challenging piece that most people don't know about aluminum, and it's but it's very simple. So the simplicity of aluminum is that it's a third the strength and one third the weight. So you have one third the strength of steel, and one third the weight of steel. Right. So the weight savings is awesome. Weight savings is awesome, but the strength but, decrease is not, right? And if the function is for a winch capable, you know, that mm -hmm. you're you're going to or going to be able to use this product in a recovery situation, third of the strength is not ideal. It was, well, it's not going to work. Yeah. You, you <laughs> can't really do things that way. <laughs> uh, so in order to get to the level of strength, you actually have to increase uh, materials thicknesses. Right. right. And so then it's like, okay, is your weight savings at that point is weight savings that much? Um, before it used to be just steel was so much lower cost too, but, but aluminum, mm -hmm. it, it's, it was weird for a while there. It was almost like they were neck and neck, almost the same amount. Aluminum is now going up and it's becoming more expensive. So 
it's um, it's still going to increase your cost. The fabrication time on aluminum is much longer. It can be much more difficult to fabricate. You have to be much more careful as you as you uh, treat the metal and weld it and get it prepared and stuff like that to to weld. Um, and that's why it's like we have that one bumper that we make out of aluminum. But the reason why we do that is just because of the weight, right? I was talking about that before. It's like, so here's your suspension, right? And your suspension is you've got a giant motor that's sitting over top of your suspension, your front suspension specifically, right? And the back of your suspension is kind of just generally just coming along for the ride, right? Most of the parties up front, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and, uh, so the front suspension is very critical in being able to handle the robust weight of the, of the drivetrain, but then also just whatever normal driving. And it's usually spec'd at that, right? Depending on what car you're talking about or vehicle, I should say. Okay. Um, but if you're talking about, um, if you're talking like a KL, well, KL is more based. It has more features and is more close related to a car right so the kl is more car like whereas the um whereas the aka cherokee trailhawk yeah cherokee trailhawk yeah no don't know what kl is yeah and like so whereas if we jump to a full-size truck well the suspension on a full-size truck is much more robust Mm -hmm. right and so it's going to be able to carry in a higher load it's also designed more for utility whereas a kl's Designed for snow and bad weather and dirt roads paved and paved roads and, paved and roads. <laughs> that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Its primary design characteristics weren't like a hardcore off-road vehicle, right? right? That's what the Jeep is, right? right. So um, when you're building something for that, you have to recognize, well, okay, so the suspension components that are on that, the drivetrain components and stuff that are on that. That's why when I see people that want to build up Subarus, I roll my eyes because I'm like, okay, not that it wouldn't be cool, but your Subaru Outback is not engineered to do a three inch lift and 32 inch tires and Mm -hmm. a big old winch bumper and carry all that load. It's not, Mm -hmm. that's not what those engineers were thinking. Okay. And the bigger you make those tires, the bigger, the more force that you have on those components. Even Jeep isn't, wasn't doing that, right? Back in the day, the JL, like really? you'd get, yeah, like yeah. back in the day, it's like you get a YJ and it would come with 29 inch tires, right? Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to put 33s on this. Yeah. And your ball joints are shot in like <laughs> yeah. 5,000 miles, right? Especially if you're stuff. going off-roading on them, right? Yeah. You're, you're having to replace tons of stuff. The axles weren't rated for that kind of mm-hmm. thing. You know what I mean? There's just too much force on the components. So now it's like you look at a, a JL and it's like we finally graduated to, okay, our axles are both on the front and rear are beefy enough to run a 37 comfortably yeah. and not have the major damage issues. Already yeah, everything's wider, cut out, you know, ready. you need a minor lift and, and you can the fit a 32. The door stronger. Yeah, rear door. A yeah, tire the JL rear door is magnesium, right? So right. it's it's lightweight, but it's actually yeah. super robust and strong. It's all cast and stuff. So yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. Whereas like you just look at like a KL, no, dude, the KL is not. <laughs> it's like like Jer got that Jer Park right. He's he was he pushed us into making the KL, KL bumper. Yeah, he was got, one of those. We got serious. He was one of those pressured. people. He was the secondary was like person. A gang actually that pressured us. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And he was one of them. Yeah, yeah, he was one of them. 
And, uh, but no, like he, dude, he, um, took that on. So we did the bumper on his, right. And he did a lift on it and he had, I think 32s. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I'm going to do, yeah. he was doing all sorts of stuff. And that's because yeah. they're really capable. But then it's like, he's got like a transaxle thing that he exploded on golden spike or mm -hmm. something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was after that, that it was like, and it was a lot of work to replace it and everything like that. He's just like, ah, I don't got know. Some I'm really cool pictures though. We did get some cool pictures. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool to see a KL do that stuff. It was cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we specifically, when we designed that front bumper, we designed the front of that aluminum out of aluminum and the internal part, the internal winch mount piece is all steel, right? But the external part, and that's because we looked at the weight difference and we were like, dang, dude, this thing's going to weigh, this, this is going to weigh like 50 to 60 more pounds sitting out here. Mm -hmm. And that's one it's like, I recommend everybody do a synthetic line because it's 30 pounds less. You save a lot of weight with that. Oh, I mean, the winch, weight, you think about a winch, winch with a steel cable is usually around a hundred pounds or more, right? Yeah. For a nine to 10,000 pound winch. And then, you know, you're throwing a, a lightweight bumper for the Jeep. So I are full width bumpers or 80, 90 pounds, at least mm -hmm. our stubby bumpers are at least 50, 60 pounds. Um, they're, they're more designed for that sort of thing, but the KL just isn't. And it's the real point is the fulcrum, what they would call the fulcrum or the point of where here's where the tires meet. This is where the suspension is. And then how far in front of the car is the bumper? Yeah. It's on a, on a TJ and a JK and a Jeep and all those. It's actually right there with the suspension. It's very close to the front, right? Because the approach angle is really important. When you're looking at a KL, you're having to stick that in front of the factory bumper, right? Because it's all plastic, so you're pushing it further out. You push it further out, you have yeah. more load, more weight, and more strain on the chassis and right. more damage potential. So long story short. We don't do aluminum. Long story bumpers. short, that's it's part of the reason why we, we, do we don't do it. We don't do it. shell with a steel interior mm -hmm. on that. And it's because they're expensive. There's kind of this, there's this misnomer. It's, it's weird. People think that, oh, well, aluminum, it, it doesn't rust, right? And oh. that's correct because aluminum doesn't rust, but aluminum corrodes. So different color, different color. Yeah. Instead of red, it's white, right? It still oxidizes, right? Yeah. It's still, it still has that moment where it, it runs into oxygen and there's some electron exchange and stuff, stuff goes happening. bad. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it'll still oxidize. So people, people think that and they're like, they paint their bumper, their aluminum bumper. And then when they see like white dripping out of it, because of some part, because it started to corrode underneath it. Mm -hmm. They're surprised and they're like, what is this stuff? And it's like, it's called oxidization. That's yeah. what, that's what so, happens. So you're not escaping that. You are not escaping it. No. Okay. okay. Are we just going off our points here? Well, yeah, I was, I was wondering, um, yeah. and, and I'm not sure. So you might want to address this down the road or in, in another podcast, but sure. Um, Ow. My elbow. when it comes to fit and fitment and we're talking about OEM versus an aftermarket part, mm -hmm. was that a question? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just, I think there needs to be some discussion about that, about OEM versus aftermarket. OEM okay, versus aftermarket. What to expect. Aftermarket. Okay. Um, 
yeah what what to expect and when it comes to product install and, and stuff like that you know what what's realistic when it comes to you know aftermarket parts and differences between vehicles yeah et cetera. yeah no we can talk about that so yeah. yeah when it comes to aftermarket parts when we're talking about um oem versus aftermarket there's a few things that need to be recognized like the first thing is is that um the i think a lot of people perceive that oem stuff specifically is super super accurate and super precise mm -hmm. and um part of that is because you go in and when you go in you buy a car you're not going over it with micrometers to see right what's off and what's different and right. what's what right right um for the most part like most of the manufacturers um do a really good job on trying to make consistent parts right but very you know they do have variations from part to part i've had parts on vehicles i had a receiver hitch assembly i actually took a picture of it um because it was so far off i had a receiver hitch assembly that i was looking down the line of the mounts for the receiver hitch and and the angle between these two mounts right it was five to ten degrees rotated on one side and i was blown away that the bumper each could even mount on that stock one yeah because a, an aftermarket one if it was very rigidly designed like so it was designed for the holes to line up perfectly it it wouldn't have mounted right mm -hmm. it just wouldn't have um there's certain chassis and certain components that are extremely accurate right so like jeep frames uh when from jk to jl for the most part they're extremely accurate um those are I, I'm very impressed with those and have been uh, since, you know, since the JK came out. You've been noticing a lot of consistency. Whereas on older Jeeps, you can have a lot of variation. Um, but then the other misnomers, like people think Toyotas are like the most true thing on the planet. Mm -hmm. It's not true. <laughs> so we, we've had to experience I, otherwise. I'm not, I'm not dissing on Toyota no. by any means, right? Mm -hmm. But um I've had bumpers we made where we were sending bumpers out to people and we're like, okay, fits perfect on our truck. And we do fixturing and we do a lot of stuff to mm -hmm. maintain, like here's the exact fit every time, right? Mm -hmm. So we fixture our parts to make sure that our, we have consistency, but we also make a lot of slotting in our holes and adjustment in our holes. So we can, you can get that right fit. You can really dial it in. Um, but yeah, originally like I had a Toyota where I'm like, um, it was a, it was the Tacoma front bumper. We did one where our whole slotting was only really set up to be, to have maybe a half inch grand total variation. And, um, we had a customer having trouble with fitment, right? So we went and got one, brought it in, took it apart and we took measurements and we took points on the chassis with points on the body and the two trucks that we had side by side made in the same factory and not that far apart being made within six months or so. Um, actually it might've been a little longer than six months, but it might've been like eight months that they were made. Um, and they were a three quarters of an inch difference. They're almost yeah. one full inch between this one and this one where the bumper had to fit on the chassis to work with the body. Significant. Significant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we've had two Ford Raptors, you know, yeah. model years apart side by side and, and the chassis themselves. 
where the mounting right. holes were were one inch from one to another. Right. So, so number one, out out the gate, vehicles aren't exactly the same. There's no. There's variation. There's always variation. I know we've we found for a while that certain FJ cruisers manufactured in the southern states were just they'd have dip, just different a parts. Bit different. Yeah, they'd have yeah. different parts on them. You're yeah. like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah, where did this come from? Mm -hmm. And then you factor in, you know, if, if it's a vehicle that's been in any sort of fender benders, not even have to be something huge, but little things. No, it'll tweak the frame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, if you, you can, your frame can tweak a little bit and your airbags don't blow, right? And yeah. it depends on the vehicle. There's some vehicles that very sensitive airbag sensors, right? Very mm -hmm. sensitive accelerometers and they'll blow because you like looked at them wrong. <laughs> and then there's ones where... Um, they'll take a lot more force mm -hmm. and, uh, your friend, your frame can be tweaked. I had a dude hit, uh, it was our JK, that blue one, hmm. our blue JK got hit, um, by a guy accelerating backwards way too fast. And he, <laughs> he nailed it oh, right on the trail. No, no, this oh, wasn't on the yeah. trail. Oh. This was in a parking lot. Okay. This was in our parking lot. <laughs> This old fella, he's probably, he, he's got to be, he's got to be passed by now. He was actually pretty cool. He was a cool old guy, mm -hmm. quite an innovator, right? Um, I won't get into his story, but he was a cool guy. Um, he was just a late for an appointment. He backed up, mm -hmm. <laughs> nailed our Jeep. Mm -hmm. It actually tweaked the bumper a little bit and um, mm -hmm. the frame was slightly tweaked because of that impact. Airbags didn't blow, nothing like that happened. I mean... Um, but we did take it to a frame straightener and we did have the frame twisted back into place so mm -hmm. we could put the bumper back on, mm -hmm. but it doesn't take much. Right. It doesn't take much. So people, and, and so people will buy a used car and they're just like, Hey, there's, there's no, uh, what do you call it? Like Carfax reports. Yeah. There's no, no accidents no reported accident or anything report. like that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, that's, that's good. That is, that's how I like buying my used cars. However, <laughs> that doesn't guarantee it because right. somebody can you know, call their buddy Larry and say, right. Hey, will you, will you fix this for me? Yeah. So I don't have to, my insurance price doesn't go up. You know, yeah. you have that stuff all the time. Right. Right. So, so part of the design is, you know, that there's some variation. There's some flexibility. There's some flexibility. Yeah. And, and flex is actually an important thing that just in general, in general, yeah. when you talk about, but, um, you know, it's designed to, to hopefully accommodate for those variations that could be OEM could be from a fender bender. It is you know, as, as best as it can be within, yeah. within reason, I should say. Right. You know, um, but in the, in the world of aftermarket, like, will you have to dremel out a hole a little or, or do this or that? It's possible. It it's yeah. very possible. And it um, can just be the variation or it can, it can be that it's one of these other factors that we've talked about. Right. Yeah. So, and, and when it comes to flex and gap, um, Sure. Mind there's, the gap. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. There's a purpose. There is a purpose for, for the gap. gap. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So if you've got a vehicle that's a unibody frame construction, and there's not very many of them, Subaru is a unibody frame. Your Toyota Camry is a unibody frame. Camry. Camry. <laughs> Basically cars are mm -hmm. unibody frames. Jeep Cherokees, the old school Jeep Cher mm. Cherokee is going all the way back to really? like when it was the Comanche and stuff going like to, I think 1982, 83. The OG. Yeah. The OG stuff mm. all the way back there. Unibody, which was, which was the truth is, it's pretty innovating. It's, it was a pretty innovative concept. However, um, 
not really the best thing for building up and putting huger tires on stuff, right? Mm -hmm. It's not really was the forte. Um, the, the body on frame chassis structure that you're used to with like a forerunner, a Tacoma, um, a tr pretty much most trucks, except for like the Ridgeline, um, which who does that, right? right? That's not really a truck, <laughs> nothing personal Honda, but come on. Um, but yeah, that sort of thing. Um, I'm trying to think what else forerunner FJ cruiser. I don't know if I said Jeep, but Jeep, right. Almost everything else ex that we do stuff for almost everything is body on frame. Okay. Um, the sprinter is not body on frame, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a unibody structure. Um, so pretty, pretty beefy, pretty heavy duty, unibody structure for what they're doing on it, but it's a unibody structure. Now, when it comes to frame block body flex, or at least that's what I call it, mm -hmm. or me and my friends have always called it. I don't know if that's what they call it in the off-road world or what, but what we always call it is frame body flex, right? And that is just the reality that your body and frame independently flex differently, right? Um, and a note on that, like when it comes to like chassis, right? If you're going to throw um, some really heavy springs on your vehicle, recognize that you are going to force your body in situations where you're flexing the body, right? You have a twisting kind of motion type thing, which is very common in, in off-roading. You are going to force your chassis to twist more, right? And it will, it, your chassis will flex on top of your chassis flexing though, is your body will be forced to flex. And, um, this is why FJ cruisers, um, I haven't heard this being a problem on forerunners, but I remember there was a time there where people were losing their mind because there were the inner, inner body frame cracks, I guess is what they're wow. in mm -hmm. your fender well cracks that were occurring on FJ cruisers. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like ripping and tearing and there was a lot of angry people about that whole deal. But the reality of it is, is it's because that chassis was twisting more than the body and it was happening on a lot of people's vehicles. And I guess this was actually a, a lead over. It was also happening to Toyota Prados in Australia, but I think it was more on the side of if you were mod modding your vehicle. And I think the higher primary place where I saw it is with people were putting on a heavier look like a heavier weight spring. Mm -hmm. The spring does less compression and in a twisting kind of setting, it caused the chassis to, to twist more right now where that comes into your bumpers is your bumpers. If you get them too close, there's a gap between your bumper and your body. And the reason why that is, is so those can flex independently. Right. And so they can move independently and you don't have nasty impacts where you have a lot of damage. Now, if you are going to off road, expect some sort of damage, by the way, yeah. I just have to, I have to put that out there. I have to be very clear on that. Everyone, if you're going to go off roading, no matter what you're planning on doing, unless you're just going to drive on the most pleasant back road, mm -hmm. dirt roads, and that's all you're going to do. If you're going to off road, your vehicle will take damage. It, the damage to it, may just be accelerated, right? Whereas like comp wear components are going to wear right. much faster mm -hmm. or you're just going to get stuff that hits and cracks and damages. And if you're modifying your vehicle for off-road use or for overlanding or whatever you're doing to a degree, uh, depending on if you're doing very mild 
uh, modifications, you can expect it to be pretty consistent and stay close to, to stock, right? But if you're going outside of what was normally that vehicle's design premise, and you're going a ways outside of that, like so, like a Jeep is very utilitarian driven, right? Your forerunner is also more driven for your soccer moms and people like that, okay? That's just the reality of it, okay? The, <laughs> the Jeep is very raw, right? The new Bronco, pretty raw, dude. They're, they really made that specific to off-road. Your three-quarter ton and one-ton trucks, same thing, right? right? Um, but then when you're talking about, like I said, like the Forerunner is a good example. There's a lot of plastic on that, a lot of things like that. Yeah. It really, but just for the record, my forerunner was very off-road. Oh, it was very off-road capable. Yeah. I'm not saying anything about that. <laughs> Capability's there. I took it on right? many, no, no. many trails. I think it was very the capable. The Alpine Loop. The Le Lexus. Almost stock by yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah, Lexus GX that we have is yeah. very capable. The Sequoias so, are very capable. All these vehicles are. I'm just... Soccer moms can be cool too. They can, uh, Yeah, well, of course they can. I got nothing against but soccer yes, moms. I the point is, uh, there's a certain reality that comes along with off-roading yes and that certain reality to yeah. off-roading is that damage is a thing right and hopefully right? We're if you're gonna mod that. your vehicle yeah just kind of expect it yeah expect it yeah uh, you're mitigating that a lot when you're adding aftermarket bumpers sliders things like that because it's it's offering a level of protection obviously that a your level of protection bumper won't do mm -hmm. is it fail proof against all damage no no it's yeah. not and there's a lot of factors that come into that. Yeah. Driving skill, Driving. trail conditions, et cetera, et cetera. How you drive. Like if you yeah. drive like you stole it. Yeah. Are you like rock crawl racing? Yeah. Yeah. If you're driving fast and hard and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to you gotta be nice to your cars, your yeah, vehicles. Yeah, you try to. They, yeah. You should. You, sh you, you should. Want, you want to get home. Yes. Right? Yeah. So Hopefully not. that's yeah. kind of part of the thing. It's part of the thing. Is, yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. So thank you because that's. You know, that's, that's something that comes up every now and then, as you know, um, when, when it comes to fit and finish. Um, obviously, we're using um, CNC equipment, um, so we really ha have very precise parts. Yes. But that doesn't always uh, mitigate the variations the variation that can be in vehicles. OEM or whatever. Yeah, and There's I mean, still variation. even the OEM sometimes will just change stuff. True. Right. Sometimes we, they're we just found that mid year. Yeah, mid year sometimes. they'll just do a change and yeah. you just all of a sudden you're surprised. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Oh, so change that. Yeah. Okay. It does happen. And and so So yeah. let's talk a little bit though about the equipment that we use um in the production okay. of our parts. Um CNC meaning computer computer numerically controlled. So, which is a fancy term for it is a very fancy yeah. term yeah um just about everything you're going to buy these days is computer numerically controlled or has been made with those kind of machines um it's just kind of a necessity it's it's very unlikely that you're going to buy something from somebody that hasn't run through some sort of cnc plasma table or or something like that it's becoming very very common and easy to get right mm -hmm. um now when you're talking about different equipment, different equipment does matter, right? So we use a, a laser is going to give you a higher precision than a plasma, than a torch, mm -hmm. etc. Right? So we use laser uh, lasers to to cut everything. Um, 
our our presses and things like that are all very high precision. Uh, our benders are extremely high precision. Uh, their accuracy is within, as far as degrees, it's within usually we're well within a half a degree, which is pretty pretty darn precise, or mm -hmm. even closer to that. Um, so um, the more precise equipment you can have, the 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 better quality product you can have. Mm -hmm. There's this thing called st tolerance stacking. I won't get into it too heavy, but it's like um, the more variation you can potentially have, and the more tolerances as they stack up, right? Um, because your variation can be greater the further out you can be, right? Mm -hmm. So the tighter your, the precision of your tools, the more accuracy you're going to have. So we also, with our fixturing and stuff, we also do a lot of work to make sure we have fixturing. I talked a little bit, I think, about welding, but when we weld our stuff, um, it is very important that it is fixtured and it's controlled, its shape is controlled, um, so it form fits and it looks clean and it fits upright. You yeah. know? And weld welding adds a lot of heat to something. There is an art to doing it right. There's an art to proper welding and right. doing things the right way. And because when you add that heat, there's shrinkage that occurs. There's mm -hmm. all sorts of things that happen. Right. So. And pretty doesn't always necessarily mean structurally. Not when we're talking about welds. Sound. No. So. No, no. There's this misnomer out there. And um, a, lot of, a lot of people... I see this in a lot of uh, different forums and groups and stuff like that, where somebody will be pointing out a weld. And um, now, granted, there are ugly welds. Sure, sure. Which <laughs> that is a thing. It's totally a thing. Um, but but there are people out there that their expectation is that a weld that's strong is a dime stack, right? Or looks like a dime stack, right? right? It's mm -hmm. perfect perfectly clean sequence and it looks like a dime stack and because it has the dime stack it's strong that's not true right. it's not accurate mm -hmm. that's completely wrong i can create a dime stack that has n no bonding agent whatsoever that is not uh doing its job and it's gonna fail no problem so dime stack does not equal strength right Right. Usually that has more to do with uh, the methods you're using. We use, um, we pretty much use Pulse MIG welding on just about everything. We do TIG welding as well on certain items, but for the most part, everything's Pulse MIG right. ra rather than just standard DC current or DC MIG, just basic MIG. Um, it's not that basic MIG isn't strong or that you can't make it strong. Um, it's It's a fine way to weld. However, Pulse MIG, what that generates for you is you can actually see um, when you're doing the actually welding process and you're doing it right, you can actually see the metal liquefy mm -hmm. visually rather than the wire going into a puddle and it's just building up and, and you're hoping you're getting good penetration on both sides, right? Um, really, it's, it's quite amazing to look if you use Pulse welders and stuff like that. You just know you're getting a good bond every time. And so pretty much every welder we have now, just about, um, is a pulse welder. And um, everything for the primary assembly of the bumpers and brackets and equipment, stuff like that, right. is pretty much all done on a pulse feed. Is there a way that people can tell about 
if no. the weld is, I was gonna say, there's you can't really. You said you could look at a dime stack and be like, that looks that looks beautiful. You, but... if, if you're a trained welder, you can, right? So one way you can tell is, um, you, you're is is if you look at it, you look at the edges of where the weld is. It's easier to tell when the bumper's bare. It's harder to tell when, when it's, it's got coated, coated mm -hmm. right? It's it's much more difficult, right? Um, because you got that extra layer on there, but you can kind of see sometimes if the edge of the weld are cold, mm -hmm. they're just, you don't see a discoloration on the edges in the metal behind it and things like that. So yeah, a welder right. can tell, Yeah. Um, but it's really difficult for once you've got right. paint on that thing, it's hard to say. It's hard yeah. to say. So um, generally just like the ones, a lot of people will complain about the welds on their chassis and stuff like that on the frame of, mm -hmm. of the vehicle not looking good right and it's always fun for me to use that as a point of how do you feel about the welds on your frame and a lot of people are like oh they suck and it's like yeah. no they don't <laughs> they're done on a robot that's using pulse and in, unless they're missing like what happened with jeep um when they introduced the jl and there's people with <laughs> missing welds yikes. yikes yeah or welds that weren't quite bonded um robot must have been off that day or something like that um Besides that, if you don't have that, I mean, as long as the weld's laying down, you're getting good solid penetration and it's going to be a strong product. So yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one for people to, to just identify, right? right? Quality. I mean, when it really comes down to quality, quality is just driven by who you're buying something from. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and some people are just, they're looking to, to bring it all back around. They're just looking for a, a product, right. That's going to fill their needs. Right. And they look at it and they're like, Oh, that looks good. A lot of times the marketing sells the product, right? right. Mm -hmm. And um, there's companies out there, I'm not going to name names, but there's companies out there that have incredible marketing mm -hmm. and and they're really good at, at really generating that feeling in people to go like, oh, that's, that's what I want. That's the look, that's the feel, and that's the function, right? They're really good at it. Um, but I can tell you that when I look at some of these vehicles, comparing it to what we do and, and the energy and the extra work that we put into our product for the cost, in a lot of senses, you're, you're really just paying for a brand name, mm -hmm. right? That's what mm -hmm. you're paying for. You're not necessarily paying for a higher level function in a lot of respects. You're just paying for a brand name and uh, that's what you're getting. Right. You're getting the name. You're not get necessarily getting all the quality that you, you think you're getting. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a hard thing for people to know what's, it's hard. What's yeah. what? Which is, you know, why we why we try to talk about it. Yeah, um, exactly. Recovery points, clevis mounts, sh or shackle mounts. Um, mm -hmm. They're welded inside and out. That's how we do it. Our, uh, that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. That's a that's something people can look for. Yeah, surface um, mounted stuff is no bueno. Yeah, bolt in. You you can't weld recovery something. Recovery points are probably not a good option. Like maybe not the best. Depends on how they are. Yeah. Like, so some of our bumpers are, That's they true. actually are bolted in. That's true. But it's, I mean, they're bolted in and double shear with three bolts that are five eighths of an inch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they're just not going to fail. Right. So, and then there's also an internal structure in which they're, they're bolting into and, and mounting into. So, um, it just depends on, on what people are doing. Sur surface mount welded products that aren't welded all the way through. Those are one that it's like steer clear in, in my right. opinion, but, um, cause I've seen those rip off. Right? Right. right. Um, in general though, I mean, and we did talk about this a little bit in winching the angle of the winching, right? Right. 20 degree angle winch, right. If, if is 
coming out of the front of the fairway 20 degrees going this way or this way or down or up is really the recommended maximum that you should be anchoring from. Now, unfortunately, when you're out in the middle of nowhere in a snowstorm and it's muddy and you're tired and your only ride home is buried and you need to get it out and your only anchor point is at a 90 degree angle, sometimes you're doing it, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's just you're going to give that a shot scenario. because it's like, right. oh, you, we got to try and get this out of here. So right. sometimes that works, but you, you risk uh, breakage. You, in a lot of sense, you not only on your vehicle, but you miss, you, you risk breakage on the ropes, particularly in, and damaging your fair lead opening. A lot of people, like you look at a fair lead where it's coming out, a lot of the older bumpers just have like, here's a flange and it goes up and the fair lead's right there. And that's all there's to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you pull at a side pull heavy on that at 9,000 pounds, it's just going to tweak it back into it. Um, so that's not what it was really designed for but unfortunately when you're just trying to save yourself or right. you know right. you do what you have to do so okay one last part of quality which is that finish step is the powder coat finish mm -hmm. um, which is not a process we do in-house right now we subcontract it we have multiple vendors that provide that service um but i just want to talk for a minute about powder coat and what it is and what yes. it's not what it's not um and you know what's what realistically to expect and and kind of the process our stuff goes through um with our vendors okay yeah so with our powder coat um we've kind of held our vent vendors to a very specific standard mm -hmm. and um it's not really i mean that's the thing we say our powder coat but what it really boils down to is we're we're mostly just supplying a service right, right now. Right. And um, the service, though, we had a very specific, like, this is what we require right. for this service of what we're going to so offer. So on that note, I guess before we go too far down that road, right. we do we do ship out bare metal, and, and we love it Indeed. when customers want bare metal um, because uh, it's it just speeds up the process. There's definitely us. benefits to it. Yeah. Um, if you're if you have an option to coat locally, um, it's a little bit easier to follow up with any warranty scenarios on mm -hmm. on your powder coat finish. If you want a custom color of any sort, or you're trying to color match to yeah, your vehicle, that's tricky. Local is definitely, definitely the way to go. go with that. In fact, we we don't offer colored powder coat really because because of that reason, too hard to to do over long distances. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, and then of course um, the the possibility of getting any damage to your powder coat shipping in freight is non-existent. Right. Yep. So that's always a bonus too. So increased speed time, you know, not not quite as worried about you know showing up without any scrapes or anything on your coat finish, and then just a little bit easier follow up with any customization or warranty yeah. when, when you order bare metal. Yeah, for the most part, I mean, you can go into a powder coater. Um, you know, in your area, if you know good ones or something like that, and you're going to, you can, you can say, how long will you warranty this for? Right. And by the fact yeah. that you're there and you live there, a lot of them are going to be able to say, oh yeah, I'll warranty it a year. I'll yeah, warranty it longer, you. you know? And so, um, and because they're all happy to recoat your stuff, they're all perfectly fine with it. Most of them. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, for the most for part. Them, but... The ones that are the ones that are going to stand behind their product. Right. The most part, right. they're all fine with recoding the product. What they're not okay with necessarily is giving you free money. Right. Right. They don't want to give you money, but they're happy to recode it. Right. Usually is what I've found. So that's that's why you can generally do that, and that's why this scenario works. Right. But as far as for us, our stuff. Um, and I mean, that's the whole, whole thing is our warranty with that stuff is only as good as what our vendors are willing to offer right. us. And it's not a profit point. It's not a point where we're making money. It's a point where we're just supplying this service, but we want it to be as high quality as we can get it. Right. So when it comes to, when it comes to powder coat, right. Powder coat is basically like a little plastic shell, right? What you have is you have these little, little plastic molecules. I say plastic, I'm using this generally. They're like polyesters and stuff like that. There's tons of different types, right? Vinyl ones, and whatever. Um, but you have these little tiny molecules um, of uh, plastic, right? A powder. And they're electrostatically charged. And the idea is that they actually create an electrostatic bond to the bumper and to each other and to themselves. And they're all kind of stuck on there. You put that in an oven, it heats up the plastic, the, the plastic goes from these little balls to actually just kind of like going like this, interlinking itself mm -hmm. to one another, and then you have a nice candy coating, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's the whole idea behind how, how powder coat works. The, the, the challenges with powder coat are like in tight areas and stuff like that, places where, where paint, like if you're painting something, paint will run right? It'll run and blend into those places. Powder doesn't like doing that. Powder oftentimes, because when it's sprayed, you'll have these molecules coming into these tight areas and they'll push each other out. They'll, right. they're, they're electrostatically charged. And so they're pushing each other away and you'll have areas where they're not, you're not getting a good bond inside there. And that's one of the challenges with powder coating. I mean, the reason why it's so prominently used is that it's actually a very efficient, low cost, uh, industrial coating. Mm -hmm. That's why so many, so many industries use powder coating and that's, it's a good coat, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not the end all be all. Yeah, it's not a, a bed liner. It's, it's not, not a bed line liner. X. Absolutely not. We've, we've had a lot of customers do a line X finish on bumpers, which is awesome. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, way less maintenance. It is. It's very um, rugged. Mm -hmm. I mean, take a beating. Yeah, it will. It's, it's a whole like another layer of strength is the truth mm -hmm. of it. It's pretty amazing. But you know, the powder coat most are, are going to be your basic level of, of coverage and protection. A, a good one yeah, and it's an, a good an industrial one. one, but you still have to do upkeep. So you, do. you live anywhere with salt on the roads or mag chloride especially, or you drive out on a beach or you're in a salty yeah. ocean. ocean. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that. That is not a, <laughs> not a good idea. Or if you have a giant salt deposit and you're like, I'm going to go I drive on the salt, salt flat. flat. You know what yeah. I mean? So then you're, yeah. You better be spending 30 or 40 bucks to just wash, wash the that crap thing up. out of everything. Yeah, so wash it up good. You got to wash frequently. You can touch up little if, spots. If you want the longevity spots. out of it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And pinhole yeah. spots like, so that's a good point right there, right? Mm -hmm. If you get a pinhole from like a rock. Because ro uh, you yeah. can still get a rock chip, yeah. right? It's not yeah. like it's impossible. Or, you know, I don't know, maybe you get a bug that has some weird acid that burns through it. I don't know. That could be a <laughs> thing, <laughs> right? But, um... Yeah, no, you get a little chip right that. That's that's where you have your problem where rust will start to form. Mm -hmm. It's in those spots. It just seeps underneath and it 
and it moves across the face of the bumper. Like our processes, we do a multi-stage process wash, right? Mm -hmm. So our vendors are doing a multi-stage process wash and etch and sealer. And then they're doing on top of that, we're having them do a zinc rich primer. Mm -hmm. And then we're having them do the, the top coat, okay. right? So we're trying to, we're, we're doing our best to provide the best quote, uh, coat that we possibly can. Um, and, um, it, it's, yeah. it's a good coat, yeah. right? But maintenance, I mean, right. you can still have oxidization that will occur. You can get a rock chip, you can get a scratch from off-roading. You can have potential areas where it's such a micro hole that you don't see it. Or let's say you're in a polar vortex or something like that, and your Jeep is covered with magnesium chloride all over it because they've been mm -hmm. salting roads because they're super icy. And you park your your car outside and you don't wash it for a winter. That shrinkage that's occurring between the materials that can allow for um, this salt to get in behind there will cause oxidization and then it can just eat away your whole bumper. So yeah, if you see like on, and this is the same thing with your chassis, right? Yeah. Same frame. thing with your frame, <laughs> frame man. Is subject to the same. Um, yeah. you're, you'll see this on your frame. You'll get these little areas. I mean, I used to like every spring, I would just go get some, some paint from the hardware store and paint my frame mm -hmm. just to keep rust just down. Just a layer yeah. of protection. Just a layer of protection. So like anywhere I saw rust, I just covered it. Chips and whatnot, you can, you can just paint it and keep it clean. Yeah, paint it. that's the way to do it. Just, just touch it up. Try to keep it, maintain it as long as you can. Yeah. And then and, and that at the will end help of the maintain day, your coat. You can always do a sandblast and a recoat. Yeah. If, you know, if, if it comes to that, depending on your conditions yeah. and where you are. If a decade but. down the road, it's like that's where you're at or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. And then, and, it, it does happen the more, and, and then that's the other thing too, is it's not just in, it's just not salt on roads and stuff like that. If you're going off and you're playing in the mud a lot, the minerals inside that mud mm -hmm. and everything like that, that you're coating on your car, you have no idea mm -hmm. what might be in those minerals, right? And you can have a lot of uh, stuff in there that can actually lead to oxidization too. So if you want your product to last, best thing to do is just take good care of it. If you have a garage, park in the garage. It will, it helps. It's actually pretty crazy. It actually does a lot. Sun, sun will fade. Sun will do damage. A lot of things. So, and that's coat. That's coat. And so, those are some of the points of quality that you can look for. Yeah. You know, when you're looking, doing your, your shopping and looking for aftermarket product. Mm -hmm. Finding out what's, what you want to, what's best. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Anything else? Is that mostly everything? That's mostly everything. I don't know where you want to squeeze that. This guy? Uh, that into. It's not uh, kind of more of a design or new. New product. New product. We should just have like a new product thing we talk about. Yeah, I'm like, that wasn't one of your things. So <laughs> that, that probably yeah. should be a different one. Yep. No, it was a good chat. Um, yeah. Should we close it? Yep. Thanks for... Uh, Thanks for watching everybody. If you, if you lasted that long through that whole chat, that, was a longer that chat. is uh that is a lot products and quality. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Cause it just veers like we have like a, this is the direction we're going, but we end up going all over the place, but I think it's good coverage. So, uh, and if, if you're, you're watching this or something and you have any suggestions, you can email us info at expedition1.biz. Um, and you can say, Hey, I'd like it if you guys talked a little bit more about this yeah. subject, right? Yeah. Um, there's quite a, quite a few subjects that, um, I, I may not know that may be of interest to, to people, but I may know something about, or we might be able to get a guest on that we can talk more about it. Uh, 
so yeah, if you got suggestions, please let us know. And so that was uh, episode eight, right? Right. Right. Well, thanks for uh, listening and watching everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time.